Okay guys, welcome back. We are so glad that you can join us on our 11th episode. What do you think about our 11th episode, Kayton? I think it's lucky number 11. Oh, I'm feeling it. Um, This week is a very special week, as all weeks are very special weeks. So stick around and thank you for joining us for... Sundays at 7. <laughs> Um, we have such a cool week. As you all know, last week was our final chapter of Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. We have been going through this nine-week series covering every chapter, um, one each week. Um, our last guest was Tate Cooney. We had to go out with a bang, of course. Shout out to Tate. Um, but this week we wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, we kind of wanted to wrap up the book Letters to the Church by going through every chapter really quickly and just saying, like, our top thing that we got from that chapter. Highlight. Yeah. The highlight that we got from that chapter. Mm -hmm. um, so, bear with us, because there are nine chapters. But it's going to be super fun. And we're also going to recap all of our guests. We had so many guests. And we the, having the guests on has probably been the most exciting It was really fun to, like, go through each episode and, like, remember who the guest was. It was like a journey that we... It was really fun to have yeah. all these different perspectives and characters. Right. You know, the story is yeah and it was funny to mm -hmm. listen to our first ever episode and how awkward it was so shout bad. out to all of our faithful listeners for sticking with <laughs> us through that <laughs> hopefully we're getting better yeah hopefully please give us some feedback <clears throat> um anyway so the first chapter of the book it's titled the departure and it talks about how francis chan built this mega church and then he got called away from it and um, him and his family traveled overseas for a long time. Then he said he felt like God was calling him back to the U.S. where he resided in San Francisco and started We Are Church, which is where he met with um, people in homes. It was like a home church. Um, but just like flipping through the chapter, there's so many good things. Um, but one of my favorite things is probably when he talks about um, how a lot of people want to see change in the church. I'm trying to find the quote here. <laughs> Where is that? I don't know. I lost it. I had it. Oh, here we go. Um, it says, many want to see change in the church, but it's often motivated by personal preference rather than biblical conviction. And I think that reading that quote kind of like makes you zoom out. You know, we love talking about I that love phrase, zoom out. Zoom out. Um, but a lot of times we want to cater to us. You know, what can the church offer us? How can we feel when we walk into church? And... I think that, like, when you start to look internal so much, you're missing the mission. Mm. You're missing what God wants us to do. Mm -hmm. And the Bible does call us to be a specific way, but the way the Bible calls us and the way that you want the church are going to be different, yeah. unless you're obviously in God's will. Mm. So um, I really love that quote because it kind of makes you, you know, zoom out. And it, and it like, convicts me. Like, I want to see all these things for the church, but, like, and what I envision it is what I... I'm envisioning for the church what God wants for the yeah align, align yeah exactly align with what God tells us how to like structure the church. Mm -hmm. So it's really convicting me in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was a tongue twister. I really like something um, towards the end of the chapter. I think this is this kind of sets the tone kind of for the whole book. And when I first read this, I read this book like three times, and I remember specifically like this idea being something that kind of gripped me and made me want to read. And it's God designed the church, capital C, to be much more than what the majority of us experience in America. 
And I think maybe in America it can be taken off. Just in general, God designed the church to be much more than what the majority of us experience. And, like, just this idea, you know, growing up in church, sometimes, you know, church can become this routine or something, you know, it can become comfortable in, like, a mundane ritual that we do every week and we don't even think about it anymore. And just you hear growing up in church this, the danger of being a lukewarm Christian. And um, that's something that we can talk about, but it's something so important to be reminded of and, you know, that, the tr- being a Christian, it's, it's supposed to be a lifeline, not an obligation. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just this yearning for something more, I think we all have that. And, like, that's what made me want to continue to read the book because I was like, I'm that person. Like, I feel like there's something more for me that I'm not, you know what I mean, that I'm missing. Like, mm-hmm. what is that? And, like, maybe I'll, hopefully that hunger will always stay in me, you know. Hopefully I'll always right. be thinking, I need something more, I need something more. And that's what's going to drive me to, you know, continue to pursue Jesus. So that's what really, that line and that whole idea is kind of what really made me continue to read the book. So Yeah, same. And I love how the book ends with the Ephesians verse. It says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Mm-hmm. I think that is, you know, such a good way to cap that chapter. Yep. All right, let's move on to chapter two. <laughs> um, chapter two is about, um, it's called Sacred. And it starts. This with, one is a doozy. Whoa, you're not joking. This one like really changed my perspective about a lot of things. Yeah, same here. Um, it talk. It starts off with the story of Uzzah. I don't know if you've heard that story before, but it's about how, um, the Ark is on this cart, the Ark of the Covenant, and they're driving it, um, just to I guess make it easier because I'm assuming the Ark was heavy. Anyway, so they hit a bump and the Ark starts to fall off, and Uzzah grabs it to catch it. And it talks about how God, he like, God killed him right there because you were never supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And people kind of like, like, what? He was just trying to save it. You know, they're like on the defense about that. When in reality, like they were actually like ordered to carry the Ark from the beginning. They weren't ordered to put it on a cart. And so I think that like my main takeaway from this chapter, chapter two, is that we like don't understand what the word holy means. Like I feel like when we think of the word holy, we think of like a good person or like someone who makes good decisions or someone who's righteous, you know, but in, in reality, like God's holiness is almost unexplainable and hard to understand. Like it's like the sun, you know, like it offers all of like this, these great things for us, but if you get too close to it, it burns you, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't know. Like, it's just, we don't, we just don't understand like what that word means. Mm -hmm. But I also love this part. Um, it says, We frantically follow the pattern of the world and ignore the fact that God calls us to act differently. And like I listened to a sermon one time about how um, if you look at the patterns of the world, if you look at the patterns of like, you know, divorce rates or pornographic viewing or, you know, anything like that. Like when you look at people who love Jesus and you look at the people who live in the world, don't love Jesus, they should be going complete different directions. And it's taught, it taught, the sermon talked about how they're almost like same. They're almost going in the same direction. Like, what's it called when two things go too long? Parallel. Yeah, they're, they're like growing parallel to each other. And I was so like awestruck by that because like God calls us to act differently. He calls us to be different. How are we going to spread the gospel if we are not, if we're making the same mistakes that the world, or for, yeah, if we're making the same mistakes that the world is making and making the same decisions that the world is making. Mm-hmm. Like we are called to you know, be different. We're called, and that's how you spread the gospel because the people wonder why you're different, mm-hmm. you know? Not that. for you, but for what's inside of you. you know? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
I think, you know, you're talking about earlier how we don't understand what sacred means. And I think he kind of gets to the root of that. And he says, you know, we don't understand what's sacred because we don't slow down long enough to marvel at God. Mm. And like, there's a, he says, there's no greater honor on earth than to be a part of God's church. And that like really hit me because I don't really think, I just like glaze over that. And I don't really like accept like the honor and the mission that I'm a part of. And then he says, when was the last time you were awestruck by the fact that you were a part of Christ's body? And then if you really think about it, like kind of strip that question down even more, like when was the last time you were awestruck by anything? Mm. You know, like I feel like we're just like a numb culture. We just like numb everything. We numb the sadness and there in, in turn, we numb the happiness. Like we're just in this technological age, you know, we just scroll through everything, the scrolling mentality to where we just, I don't even think we know what it means to be awestruck or to know that God is the only thing that is truly awesome. You know, like we use the word awesome so flippantly, you know? And like, I think that's like the root of us not understanding what sacred is, is because we never take time or slow down long enough to marvel at the sacredness, I don't even know if that's a word, of God, you know? And then he says, we don't make time to meditate on his mysteries. And, you know, I never, this, this chapter specifically convicted me because I know I don't do that just to sit and marvel at, you know, God's mysteries and not just numb numb myself. And I just glance at God instead of marveling at God. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to be, I don't want to live in that scrolling mentality of just scrolling through life onto the next thing, go, 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 which is so typical of me. Um, and I want to be able to take time to sit and marvel at God. And I think that's when, I don't know if we'll ever really quite obviously understand totally what being sacred means because mm-hmm. until we're, you know, in heaven with him, but, um, as much as I possibly can, you know, understand how sacred God is. Right. We never want to cheapen something sacred. Mm. At the end, it says we've cheapened something sacred and we must repent. Mm. Also, let's not forget that this episode was, we had, we had a guest. It was our first guest of the whole series, Michael Vickery. We love him. Yes. Also, this was the day that we were cooking Friendsgiving. So we had a turkey in the oven. (laughs) That was so fun. (laughs) Oh, anyways. All right. On to chapter three. Chapter three is called The Order. And we had a very special guest on this week, too. We had Mike McCormick on, the lead pastor at our church, Calvary Christian in Winchester. Um, You can go first, Kate. What was your, like... Yeah, sure. ...may takeaway? Um, Well, this chapter is is just really convicting, like, uh, as an individual, but also, like, I don't know, looking at the church as a whole, like, as the church everywhere, the worldwide church, capital C kind of thing, you know? Um, But I tried to make it, like, personal for me because if I really think about this book, the whole, a lot of this book is about the church as a whole. And so, like, if you try to make it personal to you and how you can be, you know, an active part of, you know, personally making the church better, you know? Um, But anyways, so something that really stuck out to me was... Uh, this, I like, when I read books, I look for like, you know, like a good zinger, you know, a good good line that you like (laughs) can refer back to and be like, wow, that really like made a difference in me. And I remember in this chapter, it was specifically these couple of lines and it says, if prayer isn't vital for your church, then your church isn't vital. And then right after that, it says, if you can accomplish your church's mission without daily passionate prayer, then your mission is insufficient and your church is irrelevant. So if I like kind of think of that personally, like if prayer isn't vital for my life, then, you know, then my life and my mission isn't vital to like the overall mission. And that is like so convicting if you put it in a personal way. And then the next quote, if you make it personal, if you can accomplish like 
my mission without daily passionate prayer, then my mission is insufficient and my mission is irrelevant. You know, so like just this idea of prayer and how that should be the blanket that covers everything. And, you know, a lot of times we just flippantly go through life and we don't even, you know, we claim to be missional people, but then we, our prayer life is non-existent, including myself. So, you know, just knowing that in order to be vital for God's mission, I have to, you know, be in daily and passionate prayer. Love that. Um, my favorite part of this chapter was when it says, in our impatient culture, we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. And I love this, and I it like speaks to me and convicts me a lot because I am a very impatient person. Um, I feel like, we actually were just talking about this in small group tonight, but I feel like when I want something, I want it immediately. Like, I want to get it done as quick as possible. Um, and that's like good because it kind of motivates me but also it's bad because things take time and good things take time like for instance like a friendship like the more that you know that friend the more you're going to be like wowed by them or like even like Kate and I are growing um <laughs> uh what's it called cilantro cilantro and basil and we put the seeds in and like we don't do anything we put the seeds in and we water it but god is the only one that can make that grow mm. and it takes time and it takes like you know like we have to water it every day like it takes consistent care and like pruning but like god is the only one that can do that and so like, I just love this part because I feel like we do live in a culture that is going all the time. And, like, we have so many time restraints. And, like, we, like, sh it talks about how we shorten our services to one hour because, like, we have to squeeze all this stuff in because people have, like, lunches and they have all these things that we need to get to. Like, and I, I just think, like, for me personally, like, you're not going to know God if you're not fully going to devote to him. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've had to really work on that in my own time because, like, I've had this very, um, like, just, like, desire to just know who Jesus is but like I don't want to wake up early in the morning and like an extra hour to spend that time you know because I want to sleep mm. you know or like I don't want to like put in all the work I, I don't know like you know what I mean does that make sense no it does like I don't I just like in order to you're not going to know someone unless you like spend time with them you're devoted to them you're devoted to them and exactly. I love right after that quote you you said, like, a lot of times we're trying to figure out the dysfunction in our lives. Like, why are we so, why are our churches dysfunctional? Why are we dysfunctional? Like, and he says, at the core of our dysfunction is not necessarily style or structure, but lack of devotion. And so can you imagine if, like, we were a, a body of devoted, mm -hmm. devoted Christians, you know, and that devoted, like, as an individual, like how right. the dysfunction in my own personal life would, would change, like, if I were, like, fully devoted. Yeah. You know? And we're, we're actually reading this other book right now called Principles of the Path by Andy Stanley. And it talks about how um, direction, not intention, determines your destination. And, like, I have the best intentions. Like, I intend to get up in the morning and I intend to read the Bible and I intend to know Him. But, like, those intentions aren't bad, but also they're not pushing me in, in like, mm -hmm. the to my destination, the direction. Me actually standing up out of bed, going to, you know, my couch and opening my Bible. That kind of direction is what's going to determine my destination. Mm -hmm. And so I have to continue to remember that. Mm -hmm. So, crazy stuff. Yikes. <laughs> all right. What chapter are we on? Woo! Four. Chapter four. All right. Chapter four is probably one of my, I don't know. It's, like, hard to pick a favorite chapter, but it's called The Gang. 
And it talks about how, like, faithful gang members are to each other. And how, like, even though, like, that being in a gang is not good, how we should almost model some of those values by being so familial and united. Um, one of my favorite things about this chapter, and when I read this verse, it's a verse in Philippians, Philippians 1, 27 through 28. When I read this, it was like, it's like one of those verses that has stuck with me. Because mm -hmm. I've, like, kind of been in this thing where I've been... Like, what is my mission? Like, when I wake up in the morning, what is my mission? What What is God calling me to do? What does God want for me? And, like, after I read this verse, I was like, let's do it. Here we go. Getting hey. pumped about this mission. <laughs> um, but it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever, whether I come see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And I just love that part that's like one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for our mission, the faith of the gospel, not frightened by anything, not frightened by our opponents. Mm -hmm. And I just love that, like, that sense of unity and how it just kind of sums up like, this is what we're on the earth to do. Especially in a world that's so at odds right. all the time. Like, that idea of unity is so countercultural because everyone is always fighting about everything. Yeah. You know, so if the church is, like, can embody that idea of unity, then that's going to be something, you know, like, so countercultural that everybody's going to be like, oh. Yeah. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, okay. My favorite part of this, it that, that kind of leads into the next part where it talks about obedience. Um, and it says, Obedience often grates against our natural desires, but if we obey only when it feels natural, then Jesus is not truly the Lord of our lives. What often results from obedience, however, is unexpected blessing. Mm. And I feel like this plays you know, perfectly with this chapter, with this idea of like the supernatural love and this unity, you know, and that, and that comes, it also says in this chapter, like unity does not come easily and that, and it has to take obedience. And I heard this, this metaphor one time that I feel like is kind of puts obedience and this idea of devotion, like we talked about for the last chapter into perspective. And it's like, if you think about a kite, it can't fly unless it has the string and, um, like that boundary and that, like, I feel like that string is, is a representation of obedience and devotion and like that boundary that we have. And that's the only way a kite can truly fly without the string. It's like, you know, on the ground or it's flying everywhere and it has no direction. Like the string mm -hmm. is what gives the kite direction and gives it the freedom to truly fly. And I feel like that's obedience and that's devotion. And, um, and in order to be truly unified as a church and as, you know, Christians, as a church body, as walking parts of the church, you know, like we have to be obedient and we have to be devoted and we have to be intentional about, you know, and that takes, you know, that's hard. And mm -hmm. it takes, you know, like if you look about a stu another stupid <laughs> metaphor, but if you, <laughs> if you think about it in like, in terms of like exercise, you know, like in, yeah. in order to see results, you have to put in the work and, um, you know, we have to be obedient and devoted in order to see. Yeah. Just like that biblical devotion. If you want to experience biblical awe, you can't do that without biblical devotion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that part. It, like right after that talks about, um, it says we've come up with countless strategies to reach the lost when God promises that unity is the method that will work and how mm -hmm. so like simple that phrase is. Mm -hmm. And I love just, I don't know how we try to come up with all of these things and just, unifying with one another is mm -hmm. 
can can bring like broken people out of their brokenness or, because it is so I think again just so opposite of what we see in the world right if we're unified and like pick each other up when we're down and bear each other's burdens and mm-hmm. don't see you know what what the eye sees we see beyond what the eye sees and we yeah. see like heart you know and we're unified in that way right and that's something that I definitely need to learn like this mm-hmm. is the lesson that like I mean this taught me that like I overcomplicate things and also that like you know, a lot of times, I feel like a lot of us will just, like, agree to disagree, you know, like, in a, on a lot of things. It's like, okay, well, you don't believe this, and I don't believe that, so, like, we'll just agree to disagree. But, like, God calls us to agree. He calls us to unify. Like, that's something that He calls us to do, and that's mm-hmm. how we're going to reach the lost people. Mm-hmm. And I just have to, like, remember that. Like, it's not about me. This whole, like, life is not about me. It's about how I can glorify God. Thank goodness it's not about me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 is about, it's called Servants. And it talks about how if we are going to call ourselves Christians, then we need to be servants. Mm -hmm. And the part that stuck out to me the most is it talks about if a baby isn't growing, they panic and make serious changes, and that growth is expected. And it said, why isn't this expected in the church? Week after week, the same faces show up with little to no change in their lives. Insanely, we just keep doing the same thing, hoping it will yield different results. Ooh. And that's so crazy to me. And, like, I mean, I can see that kind of, like, in, like, a bigger perspective. But also, like, for me, like, personally, just realizing that like Kate and I are reading another book right now, like I mentioned earlier called principles of the path and just realizing that, you know, a lot of times our problems aren't a solution that need to be fixed. Um, I mean, they're, they, they don't need a solution to be, or, you know, you know what I mean? You need a, a redirection. You need a d- new direction in your life. And I just think that's so like prevalent right here. Just hoping it will yield different results every single week isn't going to change it. You know, and it's not just something that we need to fix. It's a new direction that we need to take. And in my own life, too, like just like I talked about earlier about, you know, getting up and being intentional in the word. It's not like that I need to fix a problem. I just need a new direction. Mm -hmm. And that just really, you know, kind of weighed heavy on me. And I also love this part where it says, I want to come to the end of my life and know that I didn't waste it. And that, like, gives me chills when I think about it. Because, like, I always think about that verse that says, um, you know, we, we're going to get to God in the end of our lives. And he's going to say, you've done well, my good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. And, like, can you just imagine, like, that moment? Like, just me being nervous in that moment. Or, like, am I when I get there, am I going to be nervous? Like, oh, did I do enough? Or am I going to be confident that, you know, I did everything I could and I didn't waste my life because I'm striving to, like, spread the gospel. I'm striving to continue my mission. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is probably my favorite chapter. I don't know why. I just I just love the, the driving force of this whole chapter. I could say so many things I liked, but I think just being a servant, that idea, and living your life, not me, myself, and I focused. And, like, in our culture today, I just have to – like, it's so easy just to succumb to that mindset. And I have to constantly check myself all the time. Like, am I, me, myself, and I today? And there's an old song that I love. I love old worship songs. And it's <laughs> called Lead Me to the Cross. And it has a line in it that says, rid me of myself. I belong to you. And I feel like that's, like, 
sometimes the core of a lot of our dysfunction. I like that word on this podcast, dysfunction. Um, but it's like we're just so hyper-focused on ourselves and not serving other people that every, like, thing in our life is elevated and we can only see ourselves and we can't see the bigger picture. And we're, like, looking at a stained glass window so close up and we can't see it when we're so mm. focused on ourselves. And um, that's – I don't really have a specific quote, I don't think. It's just this whole idea of, like – the I wrote on this side, I don't know when, um, I wrote, free me from myself, it's the darkest prison. So mm. being so consumed, I think that's like the darkest prison of all, is being so consumed with yourself. And um, I heard one time, I think my friend Morgan, I don't know if she listens to these, but shout out to Morgan. <laughs> shout um, out to Morgan. Yeah, hey Morgan. I really don't think she listens, but that's okay. Um, but she said one time, like, we constantly say, God, I want more of you, God, I want more of you, God, I want more of you, but... Of course, we want more of God, but he's already here. Like, we should be saying, God, I want less of myself, less of myself, less of myself so I can see more of you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think the most, if you think about the most joyful people in your life, it's usually the most servant-minded, selfless Mm -hmm. people in your life. And I want to embody that more, you know, as a Christian, instead of being so self-focused, be a servant. And I think that's where true, true joy comes from. Yeah. And in the end of the book, it also says only when we become servants, will we experience the Holy Spirit as Jesus has intended. And mm-hmm. then only then will the church resemble the Christ they worship. Mm-hmm. And like, it just kind of like, I was caught by surprise. Like Jesus does intend the Holy Spirit for us in a specific way. And only when we become servants, will we actually experience that? Mm-hmm. Which I think is awesome. And I find that the most miserable times in my life are the times when I'm so focused on myself. Right. Like, if that's a correlation, like, then something needs to be fixed in my life, you know? Yeah. Uh, my husband told me one time, he said, if you're anxious about something, it isn't your external, like, situation. He's like, it's not, like, anything going on around you. It's something that God is trying to prune inside of you. And, like, mm. he's like, you need to listen to God's voice about that because he's trying to bring something up that, like, needs to be gotten rid of. Yep. So. Also, let's shout out to Tate Cooney because uh, he was the guest on this podcast. And this is this is the podcast that we filmed at, like, 3 a.m. Yeah. I feel like this is the turning point in our podcast. Yeah. I 100% agree. Like, this was the point where I was like, okay, like... This has become more comfortable and like, mm-hmm. it's just like, we kind of like tapped into, I, I like got, I got way more comfortable yeah. and I just like kind of felt like super led by God at this point. Like the first couple podcasts you'll like understand are just a little bit awkward because mm-hmm. we were trying to get our groove. Yeah. I feel like on this podcast we kind of like found stepped that. into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. All right, people rolling on over to chapter six. Chapter six is called The Good Shepherds. We actually had James Bush on this podcast. Okay, good old James. We love him. So this chapter is called Good Shepherds, chapter 6. And it's just basically talking about, you know, good shepherds. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's talking about, like, you know, pastors. And that's why we had James on. We thought that his perspective, you know, as being a pastor would be good for this chapter. But um, I don't know. I think what this chapter was really tricky for me. It was obviously taught me a lot. It was really good. But... um, I don't know, it was just, it's, it was interesting reading this from someone who's not a pastor, you know, and looking at it from, mm-hmm. you know, that perspective. But I think what really just resonated with me is this idea about how our culture, like, elevates, um, like, we we make pastors famous and we glamorize them. Mm-hmm. And um, that can be really tricky. And this whole idea of pride, even as, you know, um, as members of the church, too, like, if you're in you know, parts of the church where you're, um, elevated as a leader, like if you're leading a small group or if you're on the stage as a worship leader, you know, and this, this 
slippery slope of how pride can creep in with that. And mm-hmm. um, I just love this idea of um, are you willing to be a disciple for Christ even in obscurity, even if you're not elevated, even if you're not famous, even if you're not being praised? And are you is your mission the same if everybody sees it or if nobody sees it? Or um, if you're in obscurity and anonymity, are you okay with with that and are you who are you like who are you elevating what are you elevating kind of thing and um he says in america pastors think they have to become famous to have an impact in china the most influential christian leaders had to be the most hidden um imagine imagining a chance to fight for impact and obscurity all at once and you know for me personally that really affected me you know what is my mission like am i Am I fighting the cause to be seen and for people to say, oh, wow, she's a good person. She's such a good Christian. Or would I be, would I be the same, would I have that same integrity even if no one was watching? Mm. You know, and I heard Christine Kane say a quote that I will never forget. It like really affected me. And she said, if the light on you is greater than the light in you, then the light on you will destroy you. Mm. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, as, you know, as you, you know, as a Christian, you grow and you become leaders of things and like, Pride can so easily, I feel like the devil uses that so easily. And that's that's what this chapter a lot is about. And, you know, just checking yourself, like in obscurity or in the light, are you the same? And are you elevating the same mission? Yeah, I love that. And I just love, like, if it, like when you go on a little bit, it says, in our insecurity, we worry about what people will think of us rather than hoping they will not. And, like, it goes down, it talks about John 3.30 when it says, He must increase and I must decrease. Mm. And I love that because, like, here's something, too. Like, in one stance, you can be the pastor, you know, and you can, like, that pride can creep in. But then, like, in another stance, like, we can be, like, setting traps for all these pastors by, like, elevating them to a higher status Mm -hmm. than they need to be. And, like... One thing that I will say about sitting down with James and about sitting down with Mike and when we talked about chapter three was that, you know, they are pastors and they are, they do have like, you know, a responsibility for the church that's different than like my responsibility, obviously. But, you know, they are people and they are humans and they have human nature and they make mistakes and like they do want what's best for the church. But, you know, they are like also figuring things out just like we are, you know, Mm -hmm. and that kind of like opened my eyes to like. I just, I love talking with them, like you said, because, like, neither one of us are, like, pastors, and so we kind of, this, we wanted to get someone on the podcast who actually was, like, in that position to kind of see their perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things about this chapter is in the very beginning, it gives two points of view in the ways that God is for you, and that's kind of my, like, main thing. Like, it talks about, like, multiple instances in the Bible, like, where Miriam was speaking against Moses, and God struck Miriam with leprosy, or when these men were mocking Elijah, and God sent bears to maul 42. There were 42 men in total, and God sent bears to maul them because they were, like, they were mocking Elijah. And I just, like, I wrote in my book, like, God is for you. Like, he is for the people who are witnessing in his name, And then it goes on to talk about how, like, James says that um, leaders will be judged more harshly in James 3, 1. And then it says that leaders will give an account for how they shepherd. And, like, even though this is, like, that healthy pressure, you know, that, like, you know, even though, like, we're speaking the gospel, we needed to be speaking it in a truthful way. And he's for us right now when we're witnessing. And he's also for us by warning us and by telling us that we have a mission, but it's a specific mission. Mm. And that he had, there are, um... Let's see, what is the word for it? There are, like, things that we need to do, specific things that he calls us to do. But in either case, God is for us. He is for us when we are trying to, to seek that out. And I really, really love that. Mm-hmm.
All right, chapter seven? Crucified. Listen, chapter seven was one of my favorite chapters of the whole book. And you want to know why? Because we had Lawrence Williams on the podcast. Good Lawrence, I love him. This chapter um, was a little bit heavier, I feel like, than a lot of the other chapters. It's called Crucified, and it talks about suffering. And um, I don't know, it just kind of, there was just a lot in this chapter that really, like, connected with me. Just just kind of, like, convicted me. I mean, this whole book has convicted me, but this chapter just, you know, putting yourself aside and knowing that you know, we're not pursuing suffering, we're pursuing Jesus, but knowing that suffering is, like, ultimately going to follow us. And that, you know, we were just reading the quote that says, like, blessed are you when people hate you. Like, just like those things, because it says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for their fathers did to the prophets. I'm just like, like, I even, like, wrote next to that. I was like, what? Like, it's just so, like, like you were talking about earlier, countercultural to what we, like, think, you know? Like, we want to be liked, we want to be, you know, elevated and all this, but this verse in Luke says, Blessed are you when people hate you. That's just crazy to me, but... My main thing about this, I'm just going to keep it short. It just, there's one quote in here that says, joyfully endure suffering. And I think that's just like such a, well, we talked about this last oxymoron when you said, uh, what'd you say? Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an oxymoron. It's just joyfully endure suffering. Like, I feel like just those two words don't typically go together, but that's what God calls us to do. And it reminded me of that verse in James when, um, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And the reason it says, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Mm -hmm. Consider it pure joy when you, whenever you face trials. Because of those trials, like, maybe God isn't, like, God isn't making you face those trials, but he's producing perseverance through those trials. We talked about tonight how, um... A lot of times, you know, we want God to just move that mountain out of the way from us. But a lot of times, like, God gives us the strength to climb that mountain. It might not look like him just sweeping the mountain away. It might look like him just, like, giving us these things and allowing us to learn these, um, like, lessons, like, while we're, like, trekking that mountain, mm -hmm. you know. And that, I don't know, this whole chapter, just the, just the fact of joyfully enduring suffering just kind of, like, really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read a collection of verses for mine, and it's 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then the last part of Romans 8, um, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so I feel like a lot of times as Christians we feel honestly hated by the world and misunderstood. But I feel like that gives us a heavenly perspective. And when we feel misunderstood or hated by the world, it makes us surrender to something greater than us and um, switches our focus from being liked by the world and being, you know, liked by the Lord. Right. <clears throat> I completely agree with that. <laughs> okay, people, moving right along to chapter Eight, which is called Unleashed, and I'm not even gonna look at my book for Don't this one. I'm just gonna talk about how one of my biggest things from this chapter was how it talks about we train people up and then we send them out. 
but there's like one part about these kids this lady has an orphanage in Africa and or like a mission I'm not sure if it's an orphanage or if it's a mission but they sent these kids into the darkest villages where there's all these mysterious deaths going on. The kids went in and they prayed and they stayed in that camp and they just like allowed the Holy Spirit to work. And like it's so crazy because we want to protect and protect and protect, but we can only control so much that's going on in our lives, you know? And like one of my main points was we train and then we send out. But like a lot of times we're called to just like go and like one of my biggest things in my life is that a lot of times I might feel like inadequate to do things, but God doesn't qualify. He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so you don't need to feel all this, like you don't need to feel prepped up in order to be sent out. Like God does that as he's sending you. Like he, he will not call you to it if he can't walk you through it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I just love that whole, like they just morphing together. It's not one and the other. They just go like, synchronized. Mm-hmm. We had the lovely Liz Shemwell on this podcast. Liz, and she was so perfect for this because I feel like she lives this out. But I want to be an unleashed Christian, like the title of the chapter. Mm -hmm. You know, and Ephesians 3.20 is, is kind of a theme throughout this. But now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. And the main thing I got from this chapter is just serving a big God. Like I don't want to serve a small God. I want to serve a big God. I want, mm -hmm. In my actions, in my prayer life, in everything that I do, in the mission that I'm running toward, I want it to be a big God that I serve. And I feel like when you're expectant of those things, like big things happen and you find what you're looking for. So if, I, if I'm looking for a big God, I'm going to find a big God. Okay, chapter nine, the final chapter. This chapter just kind of is a culmination of all the things that he talks about. And I think basically what he's saying in this chapter is like you have to, as a church and as an individual, you have to look for the answers yourself and you're going to find right. them in the scripture. And it's not that you have to go and copy what his church has done or blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. You know, it's just you have to go and find it for yourself and be hungry enough to find it. And I think just as, you know, this book comes to a close and like just thinking about like the overall overarching theme, I would say that my biggest takeaway from this is kind of like, coming full circle here from the first chapter to the last is like, I want something more. I'm hungry for something more. There's something more to this Christian life than, you know, I'm, than I've been experiencing. Um, as someone who, as I've said so many times before, has grown up in church, there's something more. And I feel like when you live out of that heart posture of there's something more to this and being hungry to find that, like, you know, you'll never, you're never going to grow tired of, of, the things that you find when you're seeking the Lord. And um, I think that's what this book just reminded me of. And it's like made me have this this hunger to to just like search for answers, search for, mm -hmm. I don't know, just to run toward the Lord in, in every way and to kind of make my faith even more my own. And just, and just like I said, this idea that there's something more, you know, like why are we living this provincial life, these simple mundane lives? Like there can be divine moments in these in these simple lives that we live in yeah yeah I love I mean I love everything that you said and when I'm looking at chapter nine um my biggest takeaway like which kind of actually like segues into my biggest takeaway from the whole book is no God don't just serve him I feel like we get caught up in accomplishing all of these tasks and we forget to sit in God's presence and actually know him and who he is and I love, like, tonight we were at small group and we're talking about prayer right now with our small group girls. Shout out to our girls. We love and, 
K10 was talking about how, you know, prayer isn't just a task that we're accomplishing. It's an attitude that we need to have, an, an everyday attitude that we need to put on. And that kind of goes into like living a godly life, like all of these things, like being a servant, being a good shepherd, you know, being um, like joyfully enduring suffering, um, you know, being a part of that unity. All of these godly things are things that we can accomplish, but those are daily attitudes that we need to put on. It isn't just a task. It is a way of life that we need to surrender to. And it's um, not just something also that's enclosed in the four walls of church. Like, I think that right. goes back to that something more kind of thing. Like, it's beyond your church walls. It's beyond a building. It's like, it's an armor that we put on and it's a it's a lifestyle that we live. Life is ministry and ministry is life. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and like, when we were talking about this book, like one of the main things that we both talked about was a point in our lives when an obligation to follow God turned into a desire to follow God. And I feel like this book has kind of just like increased that desire for me just to follow God, to know God and who he is. Like once you cross that line from ob like feeling obligated to follow God to desiring, like your life has changed forever. Mm -hmm. And like I'm like I'm prayerfully like, like hoping that, people who are listening to this, like if you haven't crossed that line yet, that you're going to reach it because it does like change your life. And I really hope that, you know, you are seeking the truth and you are finding these, these things out for yourself in scripture and listening to what God says for your life. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for everyone for listening to our podcast. <laughs> we are done with letters to the church by Francis Chan. It is so crazy that this is like, you know, what we kicked off our podcast doing and now it's come to an end. It's laid a good foundation. It has laid a good foundation. Um, we have such an awesome just couple of podcasts coming up. I'm so excited. We, um, should we like tell them right now or should we like make it a surprise and just kind of like, why don't we tell them? All right, let's tell them. So here's what's going to happen. Let's lay down the, lay down the cement for you. Let's, let's make a map. Yeah, let's make a map. That's better than Link Cement. <laughs> crazy in this moment. Um, we are going to start doing an Enneagram podcast. That is the next direction that we're going. Kayton and I went to a small group at, um, we had James Bush on the podcast, so you guys know him, but him, his wife, Randa, is um, very knowledgeable in the Enneagram. And um, so we're hoping to definitely get her on here, and we're hoping to get a couple people on here that are different numbers on the Enneagram to kind of get their perspective on things. And and how having that personality kind of like how you handle that in like your everyday life self-awareness yeah and it's so funny because like when we first both started doing Kate and I are both sevens and so that's why we're such good friends <laughs> and you'll you can you'll figure out what that is like when we start talking about the sevens but both of us were kind of leery well actually Kate for sure was leery <laughs> towards the Enneagram but it's like crazy and even my husband too my husband's an eight and um, he was leery towards the Enneagram too, but it's funny how like once you're knowledgeable about it, how much it comes up in your everyday life. And mm -hmm. you're like, oh yeah, like, okay, that is a part of my personality. Like helps you understand people, helps you understand yeah. yourself and your relationships and your connections with people and how to deal with conflict and right. blah, blah, blah. Right. And so that's what we're going to, that's the direction we're going into. Um, sorry, this podcast is posted so late in the week. We really needed Puerto Grande the other night. It was essential. Like, it, it just, like, needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, we're sorry this is posting late, but thank you, everyone, for always joining us. We are so happy, and we cannot wait for you to join us next week for our first overview of the Enneagram. Woo! I'm pumped. <laughs> 
Um, you guys are awesome, and we love you guys so much. And join us next week on Sundays, Sundays at 7. Woo. Bye, guys.